to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm welcoming a dear colleague, Dr. Lisa Valle, who grew up in Southern California. She earned a bachelor's degree in biology from Loyola Marymount University and graduated from Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine, now known as Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, she began her residency at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in El Paso, Texas, and then she transferred to the University of California, San Francisco, Fresno Medical Educational Program, where she completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology. She's now been in practice for over 17 years and worked in private practice in Orange County and Los Angeles as a general obstetrician gynecologist, as well as an acute care setting working as an OBGYN hospitalist prior to opening up Oasis Women's Sexual Functioning Center to solely focus on female sexual concerns. Dr. Valle's interests have focused on female sexual health since 2005, and her emphasis has been on concerns such as pelvic vulvovaginal pain disorders, loss or decreased libido, inability or difficulty achieving orgasm, arousal disorders, and various vulvovaginal disorders. She is a member of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, also called ISWICH, uh, the International Society for Sexual Medicine, and a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She is a board-certified board diplomat of the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and an active diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. Dang, you do so much. Dr. Valle has also been featured as a medical expert on TLC, the Discovery Health Channel, radio, podcasts, and print media, and I am lucky to have her in my sphere to refer clients to. Welcome, Dr. Valle. Well, thank you for that introduction. Thank you. Um, it's so impressive. I was like, I had to catch my breath a couple of times because it's you do so many things. Oh, thank you. And, and then when you said seventeen years, I'm like, wow, <laughs> already seventeen years. <laughs> sorry to sorry to date you. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, so I love referring clients to you because I have found that. There are so many wonderful general OBGYNs out there, but there's a lot of folks who don't have specialization. So what are some issues that you see in the general space of, of obstetrics and gynecology when it comes to female sexual health and sexual medicine? I was hoping that as time has gone on, that OBGYN residency would change in terms of, you know, talking about um, sexual you know, problems and sexual pain disorders and things like that. Because you would think as an OBGYN, you know, they talk about prevention of pregnancy, um, how to get pregnant, um, taking care of pregnancy, taking care of, you know, sexually transmitted infections and things like that. But there really wasn't a lot. In fact, if any, back when I went, when we talked about sex, kind of ironic, right? Yes. Um, and even someone can have school, their hands inside of you and deliver your babies, but doesn't know about the sex part. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. So what happened is I started to realize when people would come in and they'd complain about, you know, pain with sex or, you know, different things like that. And I would, you know, kind of go online and look for things. And this is like, you know, back in like 2005, 2006. And that's when I found Ishwish. And I started to go to conferences. And I realized that, you know, many of me and my colleagues, we didn't really have a lot of education on this. So I actually, you know, once, once I found out that there were actually doctors that just solely focused on that, I was like, wow, this is like fascinating. Like, why didn't we learn about this in residency? Um, that being said, you know, when I've talked to, you know, residents that are in residency now, they might get a little bit of it, but there's only so many hours. Um, they have to learn how to do surgery well. They have to take care of obstetrics in terms of preg- pregnancies and, um, you know, those are all really high risk things. And so when it comes to office based things, um, they'll, they'll cover a lot of it, but you know, it's just that there's only, you know, it's only a four year residency and there's only so many hours. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to residency when we had 120 hour work weeks oh, wow. <laughs> and they've actually, for good reason, limited those hours. So, but they haven't extended the residency. So really like when you get out, um, you know, you, you, you know, it, it's an ever learning type of thing where you need to seek out what is missing in your knowledge base. And Mm -hmm. this is something I decided to focus on. So, so when another OBGYN sends me their patient, I make it my mission to, um, you know, educate and explain um, some of the unusual things that I see um, so that I can, you know, just kind of fill the void a little bit. Yeah. And I wonder like, who do we put the onus on? Like, is it the system? Is it the individual practitioner? Cause like I had the same experience in general therapy school and like, I get it. I I don't want to just blame OBGYNs. It's so much to learn and so much to manage and so exhausting to go to medical school and you can't specialize in everything. Right. But I think Mm -hmm. I liked what you said is knowing what are my gaps and what I don't know what I don't, yeah, but not just saying like, I don't know that I don't know it, but knowing what are my gaps in maybe education or specialization and having a referral list for folks who can fill in those gaps, I think is important mm-hmm. because I think that's been a frustration for myself and a lot of other clients is they'll maybe go and that OBGYN will say, oh, there's nothing wrong and then not offer additional referrals if they don't mm-hmm. know. Um, mm-hmm. And then things get missed, things like pelvic pain, things like... Um, mm-hmm you know, we'll talk more about some of the clients that you see. And I think that feels frustrating. So I wonder like, is it on the practitioner? Is it on the system? Is it both? I think, you know, really, I think I don't want to really blame it on the practitioner because when they get out, most of them, owe like nowadays they owe like a a lot of money from medical school and their Uh undergrad and like some of them owe like $400,000. And they're not like, I want to go do more training. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then they might join a practice or, you know, a lot of more employees, not necessarily private practice. And they're still working a lot of hours and then they have to get continuing medical education and still take care of patients and still do notes and, you know, go through patient emails and that kind of thing. So there's only so many hours in the day for for that as well. But I think kind of like system-wide, I feel that has to change. I think starting from medical school, really, because it's to be missing that part of health, I think is really a disservice, right? Because that's what makes us human, right? Yeah. 
So when would you recommend somebody come see a specialist like yourself? So it depends. Usually for most general OBGYN things that are going on, usually their gynecologist should be able to manage most things. However, if they've come to kind of a fork in the road where they've tried all of the conventional things, like for example, like one of the things I take care of is like chronic vaginitis, like people that have had vaginal infections for like five years, 10 years, you know, that kind of thing. So at that point, like, you know, it'd be good to seek a specialist or like pain with sex and they're not really getting any answers in that and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what are some of the most common things that you're seeing uh, in your practice right now? So I'm seeing a lot of pain with sex, which what we call dyspareunia. Um, I've had recently, I don't know if it's just because of the pandemic, a lot of decreased desire mm-hmm. and they'll um, come in and it ends up that they have pain with sex, but they didn't know that they had pain with sex. And I don't know if that's just a pandemic effect kind of where they're not very mindful of what's going on with their body or, you know, there's, there's so many factors with that. Right. I think it's a Um, couple of different factors. I mean, one that I see is I think like pain, especially in um, bodies that have vaginas is sort of normalized in our culture. mm -hmm, It's sort of mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're just expected to have a period that's going to make you feel this way and be in a lot of pain and have a lot of cramping or like the first time is supposed to hurt. um, And then after that, it's like I don't know. I think there's this normalization of it. And then on top of that, I think it's like people don't know how to talk about sex. And so they don't want to make their partner feel bad or they don't know how to advocate or ask their partner to maybe stop if something's uncomfortable. So they Mm -hmm. end up like white knuckling through any pain that's happening and then the pain gets worse. So true. So true. I, I really resonate with the whole our society just kind of thinks that's a normal thing, right? Even just like pain with cramps. Mm -hmm. There's some people that actually have, for example, they'll have pain with sex, but they have endometriosis, right? But then when you start talking to them, they'll start to talk about, well, when I was about 15 or 16, I'd stay home from school for two days and throw up and, you know, be in utter agony in a fetal position in the bathroom. And I'm like, um, that's not normal. You know? And somebody told them that it was, they were like, oh, here's a heating pad. Yes, 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 yes. Or, and then they get older and they're like, well, you know, it's just gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, now I have pain in the week before my period, but then I also have pain with sex now. Um, but it's like gone on for many, many years. So um, in those cases, um, I just think it's sad that we just kind of norm- normalize that, right? Yeah. And so I imagine sometimes that when they, like what you're saying, when they come see you, they're thinking, I have something wrong. Why don't I want to have more sex? And sometimes there's other causes for it. But one of the big causes is if you're having pain, why would you want to have sex? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, So usually what I do is I split up my, well, because of COVID, it really started that way. But I usually start you know, split up my visits where I do a lot of talking in that first hour on via telehealth. Mm -hmm. And then, so we'll get like a whole idea of like what's going on. And then when they come in for the physical exam, it'll even surprise me because they will not have complained of much. But when I examine them, like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Oh yeah. It 
that it hurts, but isn't it supposed to hurt there? I'm like, no. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll show them with the mirror. I'm like, this is specifically what's hurting. Yeah. Um, and so I've talked about this on the podcast before, but just to go over again, what are some of the main causes of potential pain in the vulvovaginal area? So first of all, there, there can be a pelvic floor dysfunction where your pelvic floor muscles can be um, too tight. Um, and so that frequently causes pain. And there's many causes of that. Uh, frequently, there's a hormonal issue. Um, you know, for example, like in menopause, the tissues start to get thin, they get to pain. Sometimes there's a hormonal issue because, um, someone's been on birth control pills and in certain individuals that are genetically predisposed, they can actually have pain from the side effects of that in the tissues, or they could have a dermatological thing, um, in terms of like, like in sclerosis, which is a skin condition that can, you know, cause pain. Um, because it scars down, um, the areas on the vulva, but, um, there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a whole range of that, or even just, you know, things like infections, Mm -hmm. like chronic, chronic yeast infections. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes there's, you know, I've come across a few people where I'll check them and they actually don't realize that they've had a yeast infection for a couple of years. Years. I, whenever right. I've had one, they're itchy as fuck. So like, how yes. is it that there isn't, <laughs> exactly. does it not cause itching for some people or they've just gotten used for to some it? Some people, they just get used to it. Um, I've had a oh, God. Like, yeah, it just feels raw. Um, or they'll tell me, oh yeah, I have like this white flecky discharge. Cause remember there's different, there's different, um, species of yeast. So some of them are more inflammatory than others. Mm. And depending on the discharge, sometimes it's kind of like a watery discharge. Uh Sometimes it's an overt, you know, cottage cheese, which is pretty obvious, but it's not always obvious. Wow. And then I'll I'll do an exam and I'm like, why is this all red? And then I'll, I'll show them. I'm like, okay, you've got yeast. Let's uh, figure out how we're going to treat this. What are some of the main causes of like overgrowth of yeast in that area? So, you know, sometimes it's just someone happens to have it and then they just don't take care of it. But sometimes, for example, if somebody's like diabetic or insulin resistant or they eat a lot of sugar, I find that a lot of those patients that I've seen, um, they frequently have recurring yeast infections. Um, Someone that is... um, you know, has has a bunch of medical problems and they're immunosuppressed. Uh-huh. They also might have chronic yeast infections, and sometimes it just happens. Yeah, you know? and I haven't talked much about it on the podcast, but lichen sclerosis. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me more about that, and how does that happen? How does it affect people? So, during so originally in my training, in fact, I think a lot of OBGYNs we were taught that lichen sclerosis is a skin condition that, that can occur on the vulva, but it can mm-hmm. occur other places too. And we're taught like in an 80 year old woman coming in and the opening of the vagina is very small because it's scarred down. The clitoral hood is scarred over the clitoris. The labia minora has kind of fused into the skin next to it. And we're taught kind of a more extreme form of lichen sclerosis, which can be very, very painful. Yeah. Um, 
But there's actually, now we know, there are people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, even that, in those age ranges where they have early changes of that, and it takes decades for it to get to that point sometimes. Mm. So what it is, it's it's a dermatological condition where um, your, your immune system basically kind of attacks itself and it can cause scarring. Um, it causes kind of like a loss of architecture of the vulva. Um, and sometimes people don't even notice that they have any of these changes because frequently they don't look with a mirror and they might get some itching. Yeah. Uh, maybe it comes and goes and then over time it gets worse and worse. Then they'll finally go to the doctor and like, why is this, you know, why am I itching all the time? Yeah. Um, and ideally you want to take like a look, like a tiny little biopsy. Um, and when I say tiny, it's like three or four millimeters. Um, and get a vulvar cytopathologist to actually look at it. Um, and that's actually a pathologist that just specializes in that. Mm. Um, and then you have to treat it. And it's something you have for the rest of your life. Um, so it's more, it's management. It's management, yeah. And they think there's a genetic predisposition to it. Um, it's basically your immune cells kind of go haywire and start to attack itself. Yeah. And I see clients who, who have that as well. And I would say on my end of things, it's helping them find, well, what are some other ways I can experience pleasure um, when this is flaring up? Because like you said, I think it can be so both just physically painful, but also emotionally mm-hmm. painful of like mm-hmm. the, the physical changes and how does, how does my vulva look? And um, mm-hmm. I think there's so many layers of it. Um, how is the management in terms of the like medical physiological stuff are we seeing that we're able to like slow down the progression like what does management look like so ideally there isn't a whole lot to offer in terms of what i mean i'm going to go over what we usually do but over the years not a lot of progress has been made in this unfortunately because as you know sometimes female um health is not necessarily researched well enough and so what it is, is that's so, frust- time, it's so frustrating. I know, I know it's really, really frustrating. So what it is, is you have to number one, get a diagnosis with a biopsy in the old days, you'd look at it and they, and we're trained. Okay. It looks like it, but there's many, many, there's like hundreds of different, um, vulvar pathologies mm-hmm. that it could be. And yeah. so you don't really necessarily want to assume something without knowing for sure so ideally you want a biopsy number two once you get the biopsy um you want to educate the patient with the mirror and telling them okay this is all the areas of the lichen sclerosis um and then i'll ask them uh, you know do you have itching in these areas and they'll show me where and then ideally you want to be on hot really high ultra potent steroid ointment um where you're actually going to be putting that on the affected areas of the vulva. Mm -hmm. And in the old days, they would just tell people, okay, you know, put it on there. And then when your itching goes away, just stop. But now we know that it's a forever thing. So ideally what you want to do is you want to do it more frequently and it's depending on what their condition is. So usually I, we have them do a sit bath to kind of soften up the skin um, and then use a mirror, place the, place the beta salt ointment and I use ointment because it um it stays whereas cream you might sweat it off a little bit Mm -hmm. and then you taper it down 
over several months. So then instead of every day, maybe four weeks later, you do it every other day. And then eventually you'll want to be on maintenance. So it'll be like a once weekly type of thing. And that's like for the rest of your life. And you have to be examined at least once a year at that point uh, to make sure it's not progressed. Um, There is a small increased risk of it becoming vulvar cancer. So that's why it's important to, you know, treat it. Um, it can be decreased if you use the steroids, but what, some, but what happens is sometimes you'll get a story like, Oh, I used to use, you know, someone told me to use steroids when they told me to stop. And that was 10 years ago. And then you examine them and, you know, the whole hood over the clitoris is, um, you know, scarred down and they might come in saying, I can't have an orgasm anymore. Mm. Like I'm frustrated. <laughs> and then you, you look and you're like, Oh, well, I see all these things. I'm like, oh yeah, someone told me I have this skin condition, but it really is something that needs to be maintained. Yeah. And I think that's just based on old, um, old school kind of training where we were told, oh, it thins the skin. Well, it only thins the skin if you put it on normal skin. It doesn't thin the lichen sclerosis skin. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so much stuff to think about and thinking of that I have to do this for the rest of my life. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so overwhelming to a lot of my clients who have experienced this. In this episode, we talk about knowing what is going on physically with your health. One step for doing that is with our sponsors, Everly Well. And for listeners of the podcast, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S and S. Everly Well is a digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable price. When you know more, you can do more. And Everly Well has over 30 at-home lab tests. The one that I love is the sexually transmitted infection test, can you guess, which tests for seven types of common STIs, all from the privacy of your own home. I've used it a few times now, and it's super simple, and it allows me to confidently share my STI status with potential partners. And again, for listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash S and S. That's Everlywell, E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L, everlywell.com slash S-A-N-D-S for 20% off your next at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash S and S. Now back to the episode. Do you find that your clients like follow through with their treatment? Because I think something I see a lot of is like just treatment fatigue. Yes. Um, and that's not just yeah, for lichen sclerosis, but I think no, for, for, everything, for everything, it's like, and yes. mental health stuff too. Like people yes. are tired. Are they like, I have to keep doing this. Like, why can't it just be over? And I just have, I mean, shit, I feel that for my stuff that I work on too. It's like, why do I have to keep working on this trauma that I thought was gone? You know, it's true. Exhausting. True. True. It, it does happen a lot where, where they'll just say, oh, okay, I'm going to forget. I'm too busy. And then, but then they and might it start worse. to, it's, and then it gets worse or they'll say, Oh, I'm itching again. And yeah. they'll come in. I'm like, okay, let's like, let's restart. Now I, I also actually, um, even though they have studies that show lichen sclerosis is an improved supposedly with a Mona Lisa touch laser, which is like a CO2 fractionated laser we use. Um, I use it to kind of soften up the tissue mm-hmm. so that the, so that the cobetasol, which is the steroid that we use, can reach where it needs to reach mm-hmm. and it actually in terms of a comfort level they tend to have um because a lot of the times like they barely like kind of brush the skin or they'll talk about fissuring and things like that yeah 
Um, and uh, it just kind of tears. And so I find like it helps kind of with the pliability of the tissues. Yeah. But when I've done that and they're like, oh I, oh, I feel great. I'm like, okay, let's, we taper it down. And then we did maintenance. I said, okay, so you need to be seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to see you in six months type of thing. And then maybe I'll see them like two years later and they're yeah. like, okay, I, I need to restart again, <laughs> but I don't know. You know, it's just like, it's just like anything. You're right. It's very, very hard to, um, you know, do that for a lifetime. Well, what I have found, it, and I think this is where folks like Dr. Valle and I will collaborate or, you know, other folks I collaborate with is like, you do the clinical side and support. And I mean, obviously there's a lot of like emotional stuff that can come up in that mm-hmm. area too. And then on the sex therapy side, something that I do with with stuff like lichen sclerosis or other other things that we've been talking about pelvic pain um, is I will help people, like I said, to find other ways to find pleasure in their life, but also to mm-hmm. maybe make the you know, sometimes there's just a lot of grief around grieving the loss or the changing of your sexual functioning. Um, For sure. But when people are open to it is helping them make it fun <laughs> or sensual mm-hmm. or at least neutral. Because I think mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're treating something so clinically and it's like painful and you're like re- resentful of having to do it every day, who the heck would want to keep up that routine? Right. And mm-hmm. so like, Anything mm-hmm. from like, okay, if you have a partner, how do we make putting on those creams like fun and sensual and like a really mm-hmm. nice like spa ritual and then you take the mm-hmm. bath and you have a nice, you know, glass of wine while you're having the bath and listen to nice music and like finding these sort of sensual, pleasurable ways to make it not so clinical um, mm-hmm. and more playful and fun, I think can really, can really help. I think that's a great idea you mentioned like the grief. I completely agree about that because a lot of times, particularly if they've never really looked with the mirror down there and they have these symptoms and then I show them with the mirror, what's going on. There's definitely a lot of grief. Yeah. Because they're like, <gasps> they look at it and they're like, Oh my gosh. Like it, it looks like where, like, like, where's my labia, <laughs> you know, something like that. And they'll be like, what happened? And yeah. is it going to come back? And in between the first and the second visit, I can see a lot of processing and, and there's definitely a lot of grief with that. Oh, yeah. I want to, and for listeners out there too, if you want to hear more about other pelvic pain stuff, go back to the episodes with uh, Kana Cassard. If you want to hear more about endometriosis, go back to the episode with Dr. Shannon Chavez, um, where we talk more about other pelvic pain stuff. Um, but one thing that you mentioned before that I'd love to touch on a little bit is, um, oh, I just lost the word. When you, <laughs> when, we're, <laughs> when we're aging and we stop having our menses. <laughs> menopause menopause (laughs) there must there must be a block within me that's like don't even think about menopause yet at this point (laughs) aren't you too young to be having a perimenopausal moment nicola i totally just had one (laughs) shit oh my god i'm 30 ah okay menopause dang um let's talk more about that and i do have an episode for listeners if you're tuning in for the first time um about sex and aging with uh joan price um but that's a little more specific to uh kind of sex, senior sex. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are some, what are some of the main things that you're seeing for folks during menopause and how can we still have good sex lives during menopause? Okay. So what happens in menopause? Okay. So menopause is 12 months of no menses. 
Okay. And there's a lot of changes that occur then, but the more important changes actually occur. It, it actually starts about two to eight years prior. So in perimenopause, which is in your forties, the average age of menopause in the U S is about 51. Um, so a lot of those are hormonal changes that start to occur, mm-hmm. particularly pain with sex, which I'll talk about in a sec. It starts to occur in your forties mm-hmm. and maybe it may not be as bad as after menopause because then it starts to get worse. Yeah. So what happens is your pre-testosterone starts to naturally go down. Um, and your, um, in perimenopause, your, your estrogen levels fluctuate, but in menopause, now you're lacking your menses, your cycle, you're not having those fluctuations of estrogen. Some, sometimes people, you know, they may use some hormone replacement therapy and sometimes they don't, but it doesn't always help the tissue down there. Sometimes you need something locally. So they'll start to notice like a little burning or like, you know, sex is hurting or it's stinging or they feel raw afterwards. And, you know, and not everybody does. So, but for, for those that experience that, because we don't talk about it readily, like if, if you can think about TV shows, when's the last time that they talked about something like this? Menopause? I feel like it's always just like the, if it's talked about at all, like the butt of a joke. Um, yes, yes. But it's not usually but, the dur- the during part. Maybe you'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having hot flashes. And like, that's kind yes. of it. And that's about it. But there's a whole bunch of different symptoms that occur. And in some women, they don't realize that that's a menopausal symptom. Mm-hmm. And there's something that you can actually do about it. Mm-hmm. And it's because we don't have a conversation. Um, or people TV. are experiencing it and they say, oh, this is like perimenopause. But they don't know that there's things that you can do to address it. Exactly. Exactly. They're like, well, so, now I'm just going to give up. It's, it's done now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's, you know, topical hormones that we use. There's moisturizers. Um, you know, the, the vulva gets a little dry. So, um, you know, sometimes that'll hurt. Um, but depending, you know, my, my theory about it is that as, as we go through the change, we Mm -hmm. each experience it differently. Yeah. So for, so for someone, it might be pain at the entrance of the vagina for someone else. It might be vaginal dryness for someone else. It might be their libido just all of a sudden plummets. Mm -hmm. Um, for someone else, it can just be very variable of how we experience it. And my theory about that is, you know, most likely there's probably a genetic component to that of how we, you know, how it affects you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you do come in and get treatment for that, um, how long until it starts helping? What about like after menopause? When, when can pleasure I mean, I think that I would like to imagine that there could be pleasure throughout. Um, but like, when do we see sort of a more homeostasis returning? So if it's just purely a hormonal thing, then usually people start to feel better in about six to eight weeks. Okay. If they're getting treatment. If, if they're getting treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will say here though, that sometimes what upsets me is sometimes I will see you know, someone complain about this and then they'll go to their gynecologist and they'll just keep giving them like estrogen cream or lube. And they will just keep throwing them estrogen cream. 
and it doesn't help. And when you talk to them, their particular pain is at the entrance. And we actually have a lot of androgen receptors, which is testosterone at the vestibule, at, at the opening. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they have a genetic predisposition to pain there when their t- testosterone plummets for many reasons. And so giving them out a whole bunch of estrogen is not going to treat that. So if someone's wondering, oh, my doctor gave me estrogen, a ring, a cream, a tablet, you know, all these different things. And they're still experiencing pain. Yeah. It it means that there's something else that needs to be addressed, but sometimes um, that's not necessarily commonly accepted. So we actually, so sometimes some of their gynecologists won't necessarily know how to treat it. So we usually compound a little bit of estrogen and testosterone at the vestibule, or sometimes we give them, um, there's actually a product called Interosa, which is um, meant for inside the vagina, but it'll, it's a suppository that melts and, and that can help too, because it converts to estrogen and testosterone at the cellular level. Yeah. And for so. folks listening, the vestibule is just the point of entry. Um, mm-hmm. so if you think of, I always think of that friends episode with Chandler when he's like in the ATM vestibule, I don't know if you remember that, <laughs> but it's like, whenever I hear vestibule, I just think of like someone in the, in an ATM vestibule. Um, so yeah, it's just the, the entry point and, and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but I mean, you would think that they would need to be giving testosterone most of the time always. Cause aren't they synergistically working with each other, estrogen and testosterone? Yes. And you would think that that, but it's not so, it's so funny because, um, I forget how many years ago, I'll just, I'll just give an example when it comes to testosterone. Um, so there was a pharmaceutical company, for example, that was trying to get approval for, I think it was a transdermal testosterone. And that's specifically for sex drive and postmenopausal women that many people in different countries around the world have used. In fact, in some countries, they, ha- they actually have their government approval, but not in the U.S. And they showed all the studies and, you know, showed, you know, showed all these things. And the FDA d- decided to decline it, stating that they need more studies. So it's very expensive for a drug company to go through all of that. Yeah. But that's just one example of testosterone for women and trying to get it to market, right? So the, the, the same goes with testosterone at the vestibule and why isn't it widely accepted because you have to compound it. Mm. There's no FDA approved product that I can give other than Interosa. So it's like a pharmaceutical issue. Yes. Yes. Ugh. And sometimes, you know, there'll be a gynecologist, they'll call me and like, why did you prescribe this? What is this? <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, let me send you the journal articles where we talk about this and yeah. and then they'll say, Oh, my patient, their pain completely went away. What did you do? And I'll explain that. Um, but you know, it's, it's just, it just takes a long time for it to become a net, you know, a, a standard practice. Yeah. Oh, well, I, that makes me so frustrated at the, at the research level, at the pharmaceutical level, it's there very, are definitely very shortcomings. Yeah. What do you, I mean, I already know my answer to this is, not a huge fan, but what do you think of that? Those pills that say that they help with like women's libido. You're talking about like supplements and things like that. Yeah. Or what's that one that's um, the quote unquote women's Viagra. 
no. Oh, okay. You're you're talking about pharma, the pharmaceutical. There's um Addy, and then there's actually an injectable one. So for many many years, they have tried to come up with things that are similar to Viagra for women, but they realized we don't actually react the same way, right? So I know some of my colleagues like the one you're talking about. I have found that it doesn't work well for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one called Vilisi, and that um, is an injection that you use as needed. Um, works on some people, sometimes not. But again, it's just kind of guesswork. And you're looking at all of the neurotransmitters and the hormones that affect the, the sexual re- response. It's kind of hit or miss. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm... A- I don't want to say anti because I'm sure there are some people who mm-hmm. do benefit from it. And yeah. same thing for Viagra is like, this is something that maybe can help for certain people with physiological responses that need to be addressed, but also yes. to give people some confidence. But most of the time, if they're just taking a pill and not looking at the big picture for their subjective exactly. experience, they're not seeing, well, what do I need hormonally? What's going on psychologically? Mm-hmm. What's What exactly. kind of sex do I actually want to be having? Like, it's not just about getting erect um, exactly. for pleasure, exactly. especially for people with vaginas. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's too much of a catch-all for me. Yeah, it's worked for some people, but I agree. The, the way that I approach them in my office is I tell them, I'm like, okay, so whatever you're going to talk to me about, I address, I'm like, okay, so is there like a psychological aspect? Is there a biological aspect? Is there a homework? hormonal aspect physical aspect but and i tell them are you just bored (laughs) exactly and i tell them i'm like i'm going to address like all of those and then i'll say okay maybe you might want to see a sex therapist um but i will take care of the biological part um you know it just it's just i think sometimes particularly because we as americans we want like an easy fix Right. Yes. <laughs> and this is, and it's frequently not an easy fix. I know it's it is. I wish it was. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, well, you are such a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you forever about all this stuff, but is there any last stuff that you want folks to know who are maybe considering coming to see a specialist like you or mm-hmm. just normalizing some of the things happening out there before we wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're having any of the, you know, issues like what we just talked about, like pain with sex or chronic infections and things like that, they can always go to the Ishwish website wherever they live and under find a provider because um, there's, you know, there's not like a gazillion of us, but there are people that are located across the the United States that can actually help you. And are a lot of folks covered by insurance? No, unfortunately, no. Yeah, that's a really um, tough barrier to care with this because it's exactly. because it is a specialization. A lot of people only take out of pocket. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. As an OBGYN, on average, unfortunately, as the insurance reimbursements have gone, and I could talk about that forever, but as the insurance <laughs> reimbursements have gone down over mm-hmm. time, they have to see more and more and more patients. So they usually see about 30 or 40 patients in a day. Oh, and that's not that is horrible. Yes. And, and, you know, most are not crazy about doing that, but it's kind of a matter of paying the overhead or that's why you see some groups getting bought out by hospital systems, right? Um, the private practice is kind of 
we're kind of a dinosaurs, I guess. Um, so that's why a lot of us don't take insurance because something like this, you need to address everything. What is your GI issues like? What's your urinary issues like? Do you sleep? How did you learn about sex growing up? Like all of those things, it's, it's very time consuming, but necessary to kind of get a big picture of what's going on with yeah. someone. <laughs> Humanistic patient care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, and it's not just a 10 or 15 minute visit. So that's, so that's why. Yeah. It's very, it, it's very, I, I find it very, very frustrating. Yeah. The fact that that's not a priority yeah. when it comes to coverage. Yeah. But if you can, and if you're listening, it's a worthwhile investment for you. So people can go check out the Iswish list of folks, uh, mm-hmm. any, anything else. And yeah. How can people hire you? <laughs> yeah. So, so my office is located in Santa Monica. I actually do well pre-pandemic. I, <laughs> I used to have people come and fly in to see me. Um, that's starting up a little bit. We'll see how the pandemic goes, but um, I'd be happy to see you. And they just need to go on my website, which is www.owsfc.com. I will put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining, Dr. Valle. I know you know that I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, if you're listening and any of this rang true for you, definitely check out some of those resources. And again, if you want to follow what I'm doing on the podcast, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out those advertiser discounts. Thank you, Dr. Valle. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. 